My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to our journey as we continue through the Word of God, and I'm glad that you are joining me today. Today we're going to be looking at a chapter of the Bible that I really wish I could do in one whole video because it's Matthew chapter 24, and it really is something that must be looked at as a whole. But if I was to do that, I'd end up with an hour and a half video, and I don't want to do that. So for the sake of time, I'm going to break it up verses 1 to 8, verses 9 to 20, verses 21 to 31, verses 32 to 40. And uh, there, there's no ideal way to break this up, but that's just the best way I think it uh, it will go. Now, as we go into this particular chapter, there's a few things that I really need to talk to you about. Firstly, we have to remember the context of the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew the writer being a Jew, and that the previous questions in the previous chapters have been addressed to the Jewish people. Uh, Jesus has just said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and he weeps for the city. Uh, he then uh, starts to talk about questions that are asked him uh, from the disciples, asked of him from the disciples. Now, what I need to uh, do is paint some context for you of, of Jesus' answers here, but also our understanding from the rest of Scripture and how the rest of Scripture ties into what we read in Matthew chapter 24. So firstly, let me start off by saying that in this chapter, in verse 36, Jesus is going to tell us of his coming. Of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. So with that in mind, if you ever start to read any part of the Bible and you think you can develop a calculation method for when Jesus is coming back, you've gone down the wrong track. So I just want to say that to you. Nobody can work it out. People have been trying to work it out for years. Everybody, and, and I appreciate that people are well-meaning in their doing of it. But Jesus said, no one knows except the Father. The timeline of events is set out for us in Paul's uh, epistles, particularly in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we have an understanding of Jesus coming back for his church. Of that day when Jesus comes back for his church, nobody knows. But what that day will signify and start will be a period of tribulation for which the church I do not believe will be here for. You will be able to calculate from when Jesus comes back for his church a seven-year period that you will know with definitive understanding and method of calculation when Jesus finally comes back for his people, who are his people, for the Jewish people. So when Jesus comes back for his church, all the promises of God for Israel will not have been fulfilled and they will then start to be fulfilled again in that seven-year period. Some of Jesus' answers in Matthew 24 are for that period. Some of Jesus' answers are in Matthew 24 are for the period up until Jesus comes back for his church. I do understand this is slightly confusing. I will try to make it as simple as I possibly can. The context of what is talked about here 
in Matthew chapter 24 has often drawn people to a conclusion that the events talked about by Jesus here were fulfilled by the destruction of the temple in AD 70 in Jerusalem. Because that has become such a widespread thought process and uh, is something that has really taken a lot of people down a road that I believe is not doctrinally correct, I'm going to address that and what I believe the weaknesses in that position are and why I believe that it has not been fulfilled and why it wasn't fulfilled in AD 70. I'm not trying to create contention. I'm just trying to present what I believe is the right division of the word of truth. So this is just my my uh, my best attempt at doing that. So let me start off by coming from a position of humility. I don't believe I know everything or that I've got it all figured out. I've done my study. I've done my research. I would encourage you to continue to do your do the same yourself. I'm presenting to you what I believe is uh, well studied. Um, and well processed, well documented, and um, well accepted Bible doctrine. I don't believe I'm presenting anything that's um, that's not any of those things. So Matthew chapter twenty four verse one. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said to them. Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Beginning of the next verse, now as he sat on the Mount of Olives. So he's saying this in the Mount of Olives. If when you go to Jerusalem, you walk from the temple, you'll go down the Kidron Valley up to the Mount of Olives. And that's where all those iconic photos are taken. If you ever see a group photo of people who visited Jerusalem and you see them and you see the temple in the background, that photo was taken from the Mount of Olives. That's where you can see it all. This is where Jesus is is having this conversation. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. He's looking down at the temple. And he's decided here that he's not going to contend anymore with the religious leaders. Uh, he's never again going to visit that temple in his earthly ministry. So he went out and he departed. So I can only imagine the emotions. Jesus is looking at that temple. He's never, he knows he's never going to go in there again. And he, he, he has this intention, this understanding. Now, the original temple that was built on that site was built by Solomon. It was, uh, uh, destroyed. And then this second temple, the temple that we were seeing, and there really isn't a first, second, and third temple because there, there was a first temple, then there's a second temple, then there's the addition to the second temple. Um, the, the, this temple that Jesus was looking at was originally built by Zerubbabel and Ezra in Ezra chapter 6. And Herod the Great, who ruled Judea when Jesus was born, he himself greatly improved and expanded the temple. It was the center, that particular part of, of the temple was the center of Jewish life for nearly a thousand years. And people would even swear by the temple, Matthew 23, 16. And if you were spoke against the temple, it was almost considered to be blasphemous uh, in Acts chapter 6, verse 13. It says that. Now, about Herod expanding the temple, 
John A. Trapp says this, Josephus the Jew tells us that for eight whole years together, Herod kept 10,000 men working about it, and that for magnificence and stateliness, Herod's expansion of the temple exceeded Solomon's temple. So Herod the Great made the temple amazing. So what Jesus is looking at is the most amazing version of the temple. Now, after Herod's temple uh, work was completed, um, it was nearly 500 yards long, 400 yards wide. Um, his plan for starting it, uh, for rebuilding it, started in, in, in 19 BC, so that's 20 years before Jesus. Uh, it was, it wasn't actually finally completed until AD 63, which is only just seven years before it was destroyed. So, so Herod's vision for how great and grand it would be wasn't concluded until seven years before it was totally leveled by his own people, which is absolutely amazing. And it took, you know, a long time. And it wasn't just big. It wasn't just enormous. It was magnificent, this temple that Jesus was looking at. The Jewish historian Josephus said that it was covered in gold plates. Uh, when the sun shone on them, it was blinding to look at. And where there was no gold, there were blocks of marble of such a pure white that from a distance, strangers thought there was snow on the temple. So Jesus is looking at all these things. Now, it's still a work in progress. So I don't know where it was up to at the time that Jesus said this. But... Because by now, the work on the temple had been going for about 50 years. So I would imagine it was fairly well along the process of being magnificent. The disciples take Jesus up to the, to the temp, to Mount of Olives, look at the temple and say, isn't this just unbelievably amazing? And uh, Jesus said, listen, take a good look at these things. Okay. A.B. Bruce, these things. Jesus was not talking about the building. He was implying indifference to the splendors of the buildings admired by the disciples. So here's Jesus. The disciples want him to look at the magnificence of the temple. Jesus says, not one stone shall be left here upon another. Not one stone. It was only 40 years after Jesus said this that the temple was totally destroyed. There was a widespread Jewish revolution against the Roman uh, Empire. They had some early successes, but ultimately the Roman soldiers crushed the rebels. And in AD 70, Jerusalem was leveled, uh, just as Jesus said it would happen. Guzik, David Guzik says this, It is said that at the fall of Jerusalem, the last surviving Jews of the city fled to the temple because it was the strongest and most secure building in the city. Roman soldiers surrounded it, and one drunken soldier started a fire that soon engulfed the whole building. Ornate gold detail work and the roof melted down in the cracks between the stone walls of the temple. And to retrieve the gold, the Roman commander ordered that the temple be dismantled stone by stone. The destruction was so complete that today they have true difficulty learning exactly where the foundation of the temple was. Josephus said oh, the stones of the temple, they were huge, 50 feet long, 24 feet wide, 16 feet thick. These are enormous, enormous stones. Uh, it, it's, it's just as amazing looking at the Western Wall as it is going to see the pyramids and just trying to work out how they did it. It's absolutely amazing. When you, when you, when you go to Jerusalem, you stand at the Western Wall, you can see some of the foundations there. These stones are enormous. 
absolutely enormous. And Jesus says, not one stone shall remain standing. Now, let's move on to verse 3. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives. The disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? Question mark. New sentence. And what will be the sign of your coming? Comma. And of the end of the age. So they're, they're asking him three separate questions here. They don't realise they're asking him three separate questions. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. He's removed from the temple. He's looking over it. And they ask him questions about his bold prediction that the whole thing's going to be torn down. It was an appropriate time for a conversation like this with the disciples because the religious leaders had already rejected Jesus. They were soon going to deliver, going to deliver him to the Romans for crucifixion. Um, he knew the fate that awaited him, and he wanted to give hope and confidence to his disciples because he knew they were going to be greatly tested, but he also knew what they needed to tell to others about what he had said. When will these things be? Never has a bigger question really been asked that the disciples were unprepared for the answer. Jesus said the temple is going to be completely destroyed. So I guess it's a logical conclusion that the disciples would want to know how, because I've seen the size of the stones. How is this going to happen? And Jesus is going to speak to this question, but he's only going to speak to this question, the first one, in the context of the next two questions. What will be the sign of your coming? Comma, that's question number one. And what will be the sign of the end of the age? They are two separate questions. They don't realise it, but they are two separate questions. They probably thought they were asking one question. Why? Why? Because in their minds, the destruction of the temple and the end of the age must be connected. Uh, This second question about the coming of the end of the age, what will be the sign of the end of the age, is really the question that is answered in the remainder of Matthew chapter 24. I would imagine that this second question was asked and connected to the first question about the sign of your coming and the end of the age because they thought about Solomon's temple being destroyed in the context of uh, an era of national judgment and exile, because that's when they were exiled to Babylon. So as Jesus answers this very important second question, he's going to make a lot of specific comments and predictions about end times. And these predictions, these uh, words that he said, they've been the source of significant disagreement among Christians who have tried to understand them. So we could ask the question, why didn't Jesus simply say it clearly so that there was no possibility that anybody could misunderstand him? There are some good reasons. One reason, Guzik says, why prophecy may seem vague or imprecise is because God wants every age to have reasons to be ready for Jesus' return. We should not think of Jesus' return as an event far off in a far time, on on a timeline, but something that we have been running parallel with since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Some people suggest that God's intention was to 
keep the future somewhat vague and clouded to confound the devil. Uh, even as the resurrection of the Messiah was vague in the Old Testament. Remember, the devil does not have foreknowledge. The only things the devil knows is what God has told him. So that's why the devil knows the scriptures, because it's available to him to know. But he does not know what God's going to do. People say, well, the devil knew I was going to do this, and that's why he did this. No, you're wrong. The devil doesn't know anything more than what's going to happen next second, unless it's been revealed to him in the word of God. So it's in God's interest to not reveal it all as clearly as possible. So the devil can't work it all out and then try and mess with mankind as much as possible. And even though there are some prophetic interpretations that are different, we can be very sure of this. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and we must be ready. So let's move on to verse 4 of Matthew 24. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Before he says anything and answers any question, he knows that people will be open to being deceived about this very topic. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So Jesus starts now to describe the general world conditions between the time of his ascension and the time immediately preceding his second coming. Take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus warns the disciples that they would be deceived as they anticipated his return. And there have been many times in church history when predictions have been made about Jesus coming back. And then they've been relied upon, and it's all it's done, all it's ever done, is disappoint people, confuse people. They've been disillusioned, and then sometimes they fall away. Uh, there, there have been people who, there was, there was a book written in the 1980s, uh, Eight Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Um, and it didn't happen, obviously, because we're still here. There, there were things that happened last week that people thought Jesus was going to come back. Things last year, things the year before. Jesus says, see that you are not troubled because all these things must come to pass, but you can't work it out, remember. But the end is not yet. The kind of things that Jesus mentions in this section are, are not the things that mark specific signs of the end. Uh Things like false messiahs, wars, famines, pestilences, earthquakes. They have marked man's history since the time of Jesus' ascension. It's been happening for 2,000 years. But they were not specific signs of the end. In effect, Jesus basically said catastrophes are going to happen. They're going to continually happen. But just because catastrophic things are happening doesn't mean that the end is happening right then and there. In the midst of any great war or any great famine or any earthquake or anything, it's natural to believe, well, the world's coming to an end. This, this must be it. It's got to, this has to be it. Jesus said there's far more specific sign that would indicate his return. And he's going to describe this later on. He is going to get to that. Um, France says this. 
One clear aim of Matthew 24 is to prevent a premature excitement about the parousia. What is the parousia? That's the Greek word used in the original, Matthew 24, which means the arrival of Jesus. Jesus says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Though none of the events are the specific sign of the end, collectively they are a sign. Jesus described these calamities as the beginning of sorrows, which literally could be translated the beginning of labor pains. And just as true with labor pains, we should expect things that have been mentioned, wars, famines, earthquakes, etc., and that they would become more frequent, they become more intense the closer we get to Jesus' return. Okay, that's what happens. The labor pains get more intense closer to a woman giving birth. But not one of them is a sign. They collectively are a sign and they increase in intensity. A.B. Bruce said this, the beginning, the beginning of sorrows is such an accumulation of horrors might well appear to the inexperienced the end. Hence this remark to prevent panic. He said it will be the beginning of sorrows. So that's where we're going to leave it today. And then we're going to pick up in verse 9 when we come back tomorrow. And I know that uh, uh, eventually you'll be able to watch these one by one and continue straight on into verse 9 of Matthew chapter 24. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.